Remember when TV, you know, they'd have this, it'd just go off, it, 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 and then it's a, uh, we are experiencing network difficulties or technical difficulties, and then maybe two hours later it would come back on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's on now. Okay. Uh, but I decided to go ahead and, and try the conversations, uh, evenings of conversation, um, on Tuesday evenings. It'll be the third Tuesday evening of each month. And I'm not going to do it on prayer so much. It's just, just different topics. And, uh, and so the one that I'm going to be uh, starting out with is one that I've alluded to in here and hit some is, uh, I'm calling it hanging in the balance. And it, I'm looking at how, how balance is such a critical element in the kingdom and in God's uh, fighting against a Satan for kingdom turf. And uh, confession and repentance are God's way to balance out what Satan has destroyed, what Satan has harmed. And all through the Bible, all through our experience, um, this balance is essential. Uh, or Satan, if, if we don't forgive, if we don't do those things that he talks about that are, go against our human nature, um, then Satan gains turf and we get bitter or uh, anxious or fearful. And um, so anyway, it'll, it'll start out with that. And then I'll go to um, the human mystery and then the d divine mystery and kind of pick up on two mysteries of the kingdom conversations that I didn't do uh, last year. And um, then look at God in history in the fall. And, uh, um, God in history. The next one would be if I had a, had a hammer, which... Uh, follows up on that. It's a, about what we do with our power, and historically, what what power has done um, to the Christian community. So it's it's a mix of God and history. Okay. It's raining. When we stop hearing that and it's still precip precipitating, uh, we all know it's snow. So. Anyway, let's start with, uh, with prayer, and I thank you all for your faithfulness in being here. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your faithfulness and always being here. Thank you for the way in which you call us to yourself, the way in which you seek to mold us and reshape us and fashion us after your image. Help us to want that. Help us to want to be new and different and perhaps even revolutionary. I ask that you fan a flame in us of that revolution that your son and our Lord began so many years ago. Help us to want to be a part of it now in changing our worlds. I ask that you take this time and uh, speak to us of your ways here and of your will. I pray this in the name of Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. I, uh, it's good to see you. I didn't know you were going to be able to come, so I'm glad you're here. It's great to to have you here when you can, can get here. Okay. Well, that would be uh, great for us. So, thank you. Um, I wanted to start with just kind of reviewing a little bit about what I talked about uh, last time, uh, about um, the transforming Christ. Christ uh, as the, um, the mediator uh, that reconciles that transforms situations and, and issues and people. Um, and I wanted to just kind of get your thoughts and responses to how, how that's kind of processed for you this week, uh, how it struck you last week, and what does that mean for you and me? Hi, glad you all are here. We're just getting started. Uh, 
And I, I'm starting with um, kind of reflecting upon last week a little bit, and Christ as Christ, with Christ as uh, the transforming uh, revolutionary. Um, and I would like your reflections on how that might look, need to look, be looking in your life. Um, what does that mean for you and me? If we see Christ as this mediating, um, as this medium through which everything that happens to us passes, in the sense that we need to see our responses through Christ. We need to, to see how to let him take and refashion and remake um, the events of our lives. Uh, so that transformation can happen. So that's, in a nutshell, what we looked at last week. And I'd like to get your thoughts on what that, in practical ways, might, might mean in your life and mine. How does that change how we respond? How should that change how we respond to things? Very good point. Takes a lot of the responsibility off of us. In other words, to try to fix something. We do what we can do, but then there's this point, and that's what you're talking about, that you, you let go of the burden and it's in God's hands and he's going to have to you know, bake that in his oven and, and make it something different. Good point. We talked about him being the fire. He came to send fire on the earth. And how he changes dough into bread, changes batter into a cake or you know, whatever it is. It changes what it is. And so he is this fire that seeks to, and this hidden yeast in that strange metaphor, this hidden yeast, that causes things to change and rise and to come into the fullness of what they're to be. And so it does take it off of us. Any other thoughts? It's very similar. It, it is a good question. What is the difference between the transforming refiner's fire, I mean the refiner's fire, the purifying fire, and the transforming fire? And in a sense, they're the same. Because the refiner's fire refines us. It works inwardly in us and purifies. If we give it to God, that is in a sense a purifying process because it is getting us out of the way. I think it's it's not exactly the same, but I think it's in the same the same cauldron. Um, okay. Okay. So, and there's a good point. There's a good point of the difference because. Uh, in case that didn't get picked up on the, on the tape, for those who might be listening to uh, a CD, the purifying cleansing is different. You know, I, think it's in, I do think it's in the same territory, but it is different. Um, this other is taking the event itself and not necessarily uh, purifying us, although there is a transformational process in us that happens. When I give something to the Lord, um, it, that's purifying because it is me stepping out of my own self agenda, my own effort to try to fix something and, uh, and make it right. So there is a refining that's going on there, but the emphasis is upon changing the situation, 
changing the issues that have come into play. So that would, one, the focus is purely on me, and the other, the focus is somewhat on mediating two, mediating that person or that situation, that person out there and me, mediating and reconciling and transforming the situation. Uh, or the person who's produced the situation. So that broadens it. That mediating capacity broadens the concept. And, and it, it, it brings it to shifting and refashioning the situation, usually between two. Um, certainly refining uh, is in that. But it's broadened to a larger base, usually. And would a good illustration be like what gold or the uh, the fire melts it, and then you can strip off the impurities that rise to the surface, and then that, that would be step one. And then step two is is when you take that and transform it into a piece of jewelry. So it's like one fire in two steps. <laughs> oh, that is such a good way to see that. That is such a good way. I love that. Yes, the refining fire uh, melts the gold, the impurities come up, it gets, the dross gets scooped away, and then you can take that and make it into jewelry. Love that. I knew there was a really good reason why you were here today, but I didn't think, hey, that's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. You, know, you really shouldn't eat raw, but when you put it into the bread and mix with the yeast, it purifies it, and it also rises, the yeast has it rise. So two things are going on when you cook, really. You are purifying what you're eating a lot of times. Yes, and then making a new thing. And making a new thing. So there's actually two. Yeah. Cooking is actually really kind of interesting because there are a lot of things going on chemically with, with what you're putting in. Yes. When you cook. Yeah. It, so it's the same kind of concept that you were just talking about with the gold and the jewelry. I love it. And I think that's a, either one of those is a, is a great way to see our Christ and what he is about in us and what he is about in our lives and in the circumstances and within the relationships that we are in either being a bridge or a fire or some element that does a transforming work if he has a person in that relationship that lets go and lets him have his way. I mean, this is the key. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And, you know, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's, hard, it's a little hard to, to kind of understand exactly what that means. But uh, Catherine Marshall, in one of her books, I think it was Something More, spoke to that. And, and I think she just nailed it. She talked about us having the capacity with our responses to either bind God up or set him free in a situation. And if there is a circumstance that I'm in that I am having non-faith responses to, uh, either uh, anger beyond its season, um, fear, worry, anxiety, jealousy, guilt, I am, by virtue of my non-faith responses, binding that situation to myself. Those responses are like ties that tie that situation and bind it to the limit of my own ability to do anything about it. And usually those responses reflect the limit of my ability. That's why I've resorted to them. I'm at the end, and so I go there. I go to the anger. I go to the uh, pouting or you know, whatever it is. When I do that, I bind God's power in heaven to move fully into this situation and set it free. 
It's like with those responses, there are boulders in the river, boulders of anger, boulders of fear, boulders of anxiety, boulders of resentment. And when God's power flows from heaven, instead of getting into this situation, it just hits those boulders and just splatters out into the meadow, never really getting into it. So I am binding here on earth, and when I bind here on earth, I bind in heaven. But if by faith I loose, Well, the response of faith is that I let go of those things. Yes. Uh, the response of faith is that I have enough faith in God to know that he, he can take this and do what I can't, and that I trust him by faith. Well, you can see this not exactly uh, uh, an overlay um, with what you're, not an exact overlay, but it's a template. With uh, Abram uh, taking Isaac and trusting that the Lord, whatever that meant, though he didn't know fully what his trust meant, he knew that the Lord would provide the lamb but he also knew he'd been asked to have Isaac as the sacrifice. And uh, so he just told Isaac, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. Releasing that, if he had resisted that by his own logic and his own reason, then all that transpired through Abraham after that would not have transpired. I mean, that's the binding and the loosing moment. And he made a decision not to bind, but to loose and to trust God with his greatest treasure. To trust God with the promise. I mean, logic and reason could have gotten in there real easily with Abraham, and he could have debated with God and argued with God like you and I would probably do. Lord, this is the promise. What are you asking? Surely I am not hearing this right. But he submitted and, uh, and released the rest of human history, almost. <laughs> when you look at how profound that moment was, in which God's ways and designs and power uh, were loosed and set free, you see, you see Christ in Gethsemane, that was his his option to bind or to loose, and he loosed. And on the cross, he forgave. That's a loosing. Um, you see Job. Job's an example of what you asked. Uh, where he struggled and, 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 and questioned and wrestled and was in grief for 38 chapters. And saying and arguing with God and whomever else would, would listen. I have not changed. I am righteous. And then by chapter 40, when God has presented himself to Job, Job is kind of binding things up. Chapter 40, God finally has gotten through and, and, and broken through Job's perspective here. And Job sees God instead of Job's own righteousness, and that's in quotes. And he puts his hand over his mouth. And he said, behold, I am vile. Put my hand over my mouth. I will not say anything else. And then just a little bit later, he says, what? I have, I have heard of you with my ears, and now I see you. That's the transitional loosing moment that set God free to restore things for Job, and to receive Job's prayers for Job's friends because he wouldn't receive his friends' prayers. That's a picture of binding and loosing, both. Were you getting ready to? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Peace will follow 
a real loosing because a loosing has to do with relinquishing. So you're not, you're still binding and you're still binding and complaining and operating and, and, but when you truly give it to the Lord, then peace follows and you're, you're giving it. It's yes, yes. And, and when by faith I can release those responses and just know it is God's, I am giving it to God, and I truly am giving it. I mean, there are times when I say, okay, Lord, it's yours, and I know that it's not his. I know I still have some of it, you know, but I'm saying it. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes you have to do that. He says in, in Luke 9, I think it is, um, to deny yourself daily. Take up your cross mm -hmm. To deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. It is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. It's not sometimes a daily thing. It's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. And, yeah, I can take it back. And when I, how do I know I've taken it back? Turmoil. There we are. Turmoil. I'm fretting with it again. I'm angry about it again. I'm upset about it again. I know I have slipped in to the Holy of Holies, grabbed that, that I just put on the golden altar <laughs> or the bronze altar, maybe out there in the outer sanctuary, and I'm carrying it again. I'm binding it back up again. I'm binding me back up again. Yeah? Do you think, though, that in the midst of, like, let's take the Abraham example, uh, he wasn't necessarily going joyfully to offer his son as a sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there can be Yeah, I was just going to say that grief may be in there because I, I, there was one time in particular, almost every time I've ever gone through a relinquishment process, I have come out with just such peace. But there was one time where this, the issue was so deep for me, so deep. And I finally let go of trying to make it work right. Trying to make things go the way they needed to go. And I just let it go and really gave it up. I knew it, strangely, because of the tears. I began to cry. And I cried very hard for like five or, five or 10 minutes because I really had given it up. And there was a grief about the reality that I couldn't change it. There was a grief about the reality of, of just the end of my ability. Then after that grief, there was the peace. Uh, most of the time it's peace, but there are, there are times where it can be grief. Yes. Because he prayed to, to, to maybe not have to go through this and sweat blood and you know, go through this to him. And then, like you said, he got up and he must have had a piece of that thing. He must have come to terms with it. And maybe it is more like a process than just automatic. I think it depends on what it is you're giving up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, which is a process. That's a process sometimes of prying each finger off of whatever it is. Uh, hardly ever does a relinquishment come instantaneously. It, it, it is a process. But, yeah. Yes. Yes. You're even doubting whether you're able to, I, I don't I doubt whether I should really 
Well, absolutely, and, and there had to be some grief in there. Uh, the obedience is what loosed it. His willingness to obey anyway is what loosed it. And, and, and we see this, this journey of uh, freeing things up. We, and what you all have been talking about, we see that in Christ just before uh, the last week of his, his life, and I think it's in Luke. Um, let me see if I can. Yeah, Luke 19. Uh, I'm just going to hit that today from another angle, but we, we're going to hit it right now. Luke 19, 41. Is this kind of uh, process. And... Um, when he was come near to Jerusalem, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, at least in this your day, the things which belong unto your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days shall come upon you that your enemies shall cast a trench about you and compass you round about and keep you on every side and shall lay you even with the ground. I mean, this is a prophecy of about 40 years down the road, in 70 A.D., when uh, the temple was destroyed. And your children within you, and they shall not leave, you in, uh, leave in you one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. And he went into the temple. They began to cast out those that sold therein. This is this moment. You know, Christ lives fully in the moment, and he has come to the moment where the ending of the old covenant relationship that God had with the children of Israel was coming to an end. And the new covenant relationship was getting ready to begin, and it was excluding the Jews. Essentially, he knew that there was only going to be a short transition time when those Jews who would come to know him would come to know him. And I really think that the destruction of the temple was sort of a physical manifestation of, of uh, that closure of, of God with the Jews. And the era of the Gentiles was getting ready to come. Because by the end of the first century, the Jews and the Christians that had worked really had, had been in real close connection with each other and relationship with each other would cease. Because the Jewish uh, wing of that declared it um, blasphemy in a sense. I don't know, that's not quite the word they use, but a blasphemous thing for Jews to, to co worship and co mingle with the Christians. Christ knew what was coming, that the era of the Gentiles, and this was marking it. His death was marking the fulfillment of the law. His death was marking the finishing of God's active work for thousands of years with the Jews. Now, he is in relinquishment to that. He is in the moment with that. And in that knowing where he has finished his work, God has finished his work with the Jews for at least 2,000 years. It marks a huge shift, not just on earth, but in heaven. The era of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is over. And the Jews will be left and set aside. That's what's going on here when Jesus is weeping. And he's weeping not because he's resisting it, but because he is accepting it and he knows what this means for Jerusalem that Jerusalem doesn't even have a clue of, that the Jews don't even have a clue of. So yes, it's a loosing time. For Christ here in this moment, it was a time of grief.
not because he was resisting, but because he was accepting. So this transformational Christ, at every point along the way, sought to lose. And he transfers that authority, in a sense, if you want to call it authority, to his followers. We have the same power, and we have the same capacity to bind up or to set free. So he has this invitation for us, not just to enter into his freedom, but to be dispensers of his freedom. That's what it means for you and me to join the revolution, is to make responses that don't bind us up and don't bind others up, both. To receive the loosing principles of relinquishment, of faith, and trusting God, and, and setting us free to walk in liberty, to walk in peace, to walk free from the bitterness, anger, resentments, frustrations. I mean, we're going to have frustrations. I'm talking about things that are beyond their season. Bitterness is anger beyond its season. Resentment is anger beyond its season or lack of forgiveness. And so his invitation is to enter into his freedom. And look at the, look at the times in which he speaks of this freedom. I just want to, I want to track through here. Uh, Luke 4, 18. His purpose, his anointing, spoken of in Isaiah 60. Or 61, in, in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's not just going into a, a, a jail ministry. That's him entering into our imprisoned places and setting us free from resentment, free from bitterness, free from fear and anxiety and worry. Free in a whole different way. The invitation is for us to let this liberating spirit come into us so that we might walk free. Um, turn over to Galatians. Uh, five, and I want somebody to read this in something other than uh, the King James. King James is not quite as clear. Um, would someone read uh, verse one? Of, I think it's verse one of chapter five. It's so different in the King James, I can't even quite find it. <laughs> Verse 1, in, uh, in like the New International Version or the Revised Standard of chapter 5 of Galatians, uh-huh. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The purpose of his liberation is liberation. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has set us free. is how the King James says it. Um, second <coughs> Corinthians 3:17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. 
he brings freedom into us. And that is his, when we invite him into us, that is the housewarming present he brings to us, is freedom, if we will let it happen. We can bind that freedom up, make it sit in the closet of our living room. Most living rooms don't have a closet, but where you and I live, we do. <laughs> We do have closets in our living room, and we just consign God, the Holy Spirit, to these different places. And his invitation to us is, let me come out. Let me come out in fullness. Uh, in James. Prayer is an, an essential instrument in doing that, but it has to be prayers of relinquishment. It can't just be prayers of pleading. Yes. Yes, it's a processional prayer. It, it's a prayer that causes this processing, this transformation to happen, where we wrestle before God with those needs and issues that we have. Christ did not want to go to Calvary. More than that, he did not want to go to hell. That was the big thing for Christ because he was going to a place that, that held <clears throat> the utter absence of God. <coughs> Where there was no light, no residue of light, no twilight, no twilight of good. Absolute, utter depravity is where he was going. That's what he sweated blood about in, in Gethsemane. <coughs> His human will, pardon me, was not to do that. But when he, in that wrestling, in that sweating, he said, but not my will, yours be done. And that was not just lip service. That was not just lip service. It was him letting go and loosing. And so his invitation to us is to walk in his freedom. And if I can find this in uh, James, which I think I can. <clears throat> he speaks. I can find one. There's two, and I'm not finding the second one. But in James 2... He speaks of a law. So speak you and so do you as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Elsewhere in James, he talks about the perfect law of liberty that we are to walk in. Perfect law of liberty. That liberation movement comes as we submit to the indwelling spirit that brings freedom to our soul. That's the first step of this liberating Christ's activity, transformational activity in you and me. If we begin to receive his liberation from fear and anxiety and control and, and trying to make sure everything is just in its place, and in order, and automatic knee-jerk reactions, if we can let his spirit come in and through a relinquished heart, let him take over, and we walk in the spirit and we live in the spirit, then his freedom attends our soul. And we don't have to work so hard to make things right because he's at work in us making it right. Then the other side of this coin of freedom is that we now are equipped to give it out. We now are equipped to give freedom to others, to liberate them. You think, well, how do we do that? Be ye therefore free? <laughs> As the Father in heaven is free? No, that's not how we do that. 
you will be free. I'm going to stay here with you until you find it. No. That's our way, our human way, to try to fix things. But the freedom that we can give, this loosing, whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven, is not just within us that we surrender and submit and yield so that we are loosed. But as I forgive, I set free. As I give grace, I set free. Little tiny example of that was when my children were small. Merle Harrell was the children's ministry director at Wilshire Baptist Church where we went. And she called me and asked me if I could serve an extended session on Sunday morning. I told her yes, and then I flat forgot about it. I thought about it later that day. I was mortified and bound myself up in that mortification. And um, Wednesday evening, instead of me having called Merle and you know groveled on the floor and been so apologetic, because I knew it put her in a terrible bind, I avoided her. I bound myself up by avoiding her. I saw her coming down the hall. I went down the stairway. <laughs> Uh, I was in my 20s. That's the only thing that, that makes me feel better. I was immature at the time. Now, hopefully, I would do that differently. And finally, the next day on Thursday, I thought, I've got to call Merle. I've got to call her. So I called her. I said, Merle, I am so sorry I left you in the lurch like that. And groveled all over the place. And she said, oh, Brenda, that's okay. It worked out fine. Her grace set me free. Her grace set me free. She could have said, I'm, I'm glad you called, and I sure appreciate your apology. And it, it, it was difficult. It was frustrating. She could have said any number of things that would have been honest and true. But she said, it's all right. Don't worry about it. And she didn't say, don't worry about it. She said, don't worry about it. That's fine. Her response of grace set me free. I didn't have to go down the stairways the next time I saw her in the hallway. <laughs> I actually went up and hugged her neck. You see the difference? She was that yeast. She was the thing I was talking about Christ last week. She carried in her responses a transformative, a, a transformative agent and set me free. I was, that's a small thing. But it wasn't small. It, was, it, it is something I have carried with me since I was in my early 20s as a picture of how you and I are called to set people free. How you and I are called to be liberators. We're not just invited to receive his freedom. We are never invited to keep and hoard anything that he gives us. We're not. We're always asked to give it out because we are asked to be a conduit. It is only when I start grabbing and holding on to things and hoarding them that I get bound up and that that which is good has been transformed like the other kind of yeast, the yeast that is sin yeast, in me into something that is not good and that is sin. If I bind it up and hoard it, I transform things, but it's in the wrong way. And this divine yeast that we looked at last week asks you and me to take that yeast, that starter dough, and put it in somebody else's flour and let it create freedom. Let it create something precious and new of the kingdom in them. And so you and I are asked to be those people who set other people free. And if you and I would join the revolution, that's what we're signing up for. So all of those things that he says for us to do, judge not, 
lest you be judged, holds in it both an option of freedom and bondage. Do you catch that? For with what you measure out, you will be measured. With what you judge, how you judge is how you will be judged. We hold in the crucible there of our decision either freedom or bondage. If I judge in a negative way, if I judge people, I'll be judged that way. It's a binding. I'm binding myself up. I'm binding them up. And I'm sort of binding God's interaction with me. But if I judge not with judgment, but with grace, forgiveness, I'm setting the whole package free. I'm setting how God can relate to me free, how I can relate to them free, and how they can relate to me. So forgiveness liberates, grace sets free, grace passes on the gift. If we don't pass on the gift of freedom, we become bound up in our own self-focused efforts to be free from anything. And the freedom he gives us is not freedom from, it's freedom within. And if I'm looking for freedom from, I'm binding up his freedom. Because his freedom is designed to free me within whatever circumstance I am. So giving grace, not judging, forgiving, not only sets me free, but it sets other people free. So uh, the challenge for you and me is to uh, sign up for this, not just to receive it, but to give it out. Legalism binds up, making sure people go by the law and holding them so accountable to it they can't see the light of day. There's a place for challenging, but then there's a place for letting go. There's a place for confronting, but never a place for convincing or convicting. You allow the Lord to do that. That's the thing that we'll look at next time that particularly is striking. You see over and over again, Jesus never tried to make someone believe the right thing. He just put it out there. We confront, we're asked to confront, but not to change or convict or convince because that's the Holy Spirit's role. And when the Holy Spirit changes or convicts or convinces, he doesn't enslave us, he sets us free. When you and I try to do that, we bind people up. We beat them over the head. We send them into a prison of guilt or condemnation. Because they're trying to follow the law on their own power there. So when God does it, they're, they're following the things on God's power. Ah, that's an excellent point. The binding up happens because they're then trying to follow the, the law on their own power. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he empowers us to do it. Yes. And that comes out when we're doing it on our own strength with, you know that Brenda is, I just bless her heart, she's just so irresponsible. <laughs> oh, 
because she's so scattered. I, you know, I just love her to death, but she's just so scattered. You know, you know, there's that double current going on there. But Merle never did that. I mean, you know, it was. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, it did. Because you look at someone who tells you one thing and then three days later forgets, and you think it would be kind of natural to think, how did she do that? And get kind of caught up in those details of life. Or we can just say, yeah, it's all right. Don't worry about that. There are bigger things in this pond to deal with than that. Yeah, it needs to come from within. Christ set people free, even people that didn't know they were in bondage and didn't know that they had been liberated. The rich young ruler was one of those. Christ didn't go after him to try to make him believe the right thing. He just put it out there. And this is where, when we have situations in our lives that need to be changed, we have the option of either trying to pound that change into the person and get them right, or confront where we need to confront, put truth out where we need to put truth out, and then let them deal with it, knowing that they may turn and walk sadly away. And that's where us putting it in God's hands so that he can be that hidden yeast that works in unseen places in them to bring something new. Where by faith we can do that. And it frees God up to bake something new in his oven. What we do with the Lord in us determines what we do with the Lord with other people. What we let him do in us determines whether or not we are have signed up for the battle and for the revolution. Signed up to do it his way. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that your ways are not our ways. Give us a heart that catches a glimpse of this light of this freedom. Give us a heart that wants to be liberators and to pass that on as gift to others. Change us so that we can be your soldiers in this revolution. Pray this in the name of Christ, our King, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.